Get our Bibles out this morning. How are you doing out there? Amen. We finished our teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and we found out that that was not a prayer to be prayed. They said, Lord, teach us to pray, not teach us a prayer. So we found out that the Lord's Prayer is a template for prayer. I encourage you to practice that in your daily prayer life and understand that Jesus taught us how to approach the Father, how to get our needs met, how to make sure our sins were forgiven, how to forgive others and looking for the kingdom to touch this world. I encourage you, if you didn't hear those messages, to get them online when they're available and get them in your spirit. But uh, felt the Lord shifting gears here as we ended that. We're going to do some studying in the book of Proverbs, particularly the chapter uh, 6 of Proverbs. So turn to Proverbs chapter 6 today. Uh, We are going to study through the whole chapter. There's a lot in here. We're going to, by God's grace, spend some weeks uh, in this. But chapter 6 is a powerful chapter. I'm going to thank God for the word as you turn there. And uh, let's just thank him. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you that we could worship and prepare our hearts for the, uh, the word. And so as the word is about to go forth today, Holy Spirit, allow it to go in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, quicken our minds and our hearts that we are able to receive the good things you've tucked in your word for us. Father, open up Proverbs chapter 6 to us, all the topics that are so relevant to us today as believers in this world. Father, allow us to hear the word and let it change our hearts from the inside out. I prayed in Jesus' name and the church said, Amen. Proverbs chapter 6 has many topics. We're going to jump into one of them in just a minute. But let's talk about the book of Proverbs for a minute. The book of Proverbs is in a category of biblical books called the wisdom books. How many think wisdom is a necessary thing? If your hand's not going up, you're scaring me this morning. Amen. We need wisdom for everything. I don't know about you, but life is more complicated than it ever was. And, our, you know, we need wisdom in our relationships. We need wisdom to govern our finances. We need wisdoms in our, you know, in our government. How many would say we, our government needs wisdom, amen? Our pastors need wisdom. We all need it. So such a relevant topic for us today. Why? Because without the wisdom of God, we're left with the intellectual capacities of man. The Bible says that you know, basically our hearts can lead us astray. Our intellects can lead us astray. There is a way that seems right to a man, Scripture says, but in the end is death and destruction. So we need God's ways, and God's ways come from God's wisdom. Now, the wisdom books in the Bible are five books, and they are these, the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Psalms, and Proverbs. Proverbs is a a powerful book with all kind of, and we're going to define what they are, but they are all bits of God's wisdom for us. Now, Proverbs was predominantly written by Solomon. Uh, He was King David's son. Solomon was said to be, in Scripture, the wisest man who ever lived. Amen. So if you want to get wisdom, get it from a wise person. Uh, You know, (laughs) the wisdom of fools is still foolishness. Hello. You ever see someone says, oh, I'm wise, I know, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Yeah, I'm from the Bronx, I'm street smart. Hey, that's only a little bit of wisdom. It, it might keep you from getting your hubcaps and your wallet stolen, but it won't keep your soul saved, amen? So understand something that we all need wisdom, and wisdom is from God. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. 
and he gives us wisdom. Now, the book of Proverbs was not written completely by Solomon. The authors were also mentioned, Aguar and Lemuel. And Aguar and Lemuel were contributors to the book. But predominantly, you know, it's Solomon here, the wisest man who ever lived. So a great source for God to bring wisdom through. The book of Proverbs have been described by Bible teachers as a book of, listen, terse, pithy maxims. Sounds like I said some bad words, didn't it? Terse, pithy maxim. What, what does that mean? That's a fancy way of saying Proverbs is a divinely inspired collection of short sayings that express God's timeless truths. Did you hear that? Short sayings, God's timeless truths. If you like to get to the point, if you like the bottom line, if you like foundational things, Proverbs is a great book for you. Amen. Because why? They're short little sayings. They're little tidbits. They're things that we can easily memorize and ingest and get in our hearts. And they're going to renew the way we think. And they're going to give us the wisdom of God, basically, in a nutshell. I don't know about you, but little, small instructions I can remember at this point. Complicated, complex things that have part Z in section 35. You lost me. So Proverbs is a powerful book for all of us. And uh, it's going to give us God's wisdom in ways that are going to help us apply it to our daily living. Uh, Proverbs is a book that greatly assists New Testament converts in renewing their minds. How many know the Bible says that we have to renew our minds when we become Christians? Why? Because our worldly way of thinking that made sense to us for so long has to be untangled, and then we have to think the things of God's truth and apply that to our lives. So... Proverbs will help the New Testament believer, the newborn who comes to Christ, renew the way they think, amen? You and I have to think more like Jesus and more in biblical terms than in worldly terms, or we're not going to make it in the kingdom of God. One of the things I always prescribe for a new Christian who's accepted Christ is that they read the book of Proverbs and the book of John. The gospel of John is a powerful synopsis, a kind of a fast-paced uh, Proverbs-esque kind of version of the Gospels, great for the new believer. And then there's Proverbs. There are 31 chapters of Proverbs, so there's one for every day of any month, and we can get it in us every day. I guarantee you this, if you read a, a chapter of Proverbs every day when you do your devotions, your mind will change the way you think and act and feel will begin to change. And that's a good thing, amen. It'll begin to push out the worldly wisdom and the fleshly desires and begin to help us think the, the thoughts of God, the way God thinks about things. So Proverbs 6 is our target here, and it's full of God's wisdom, written by Solomon uh, from the perspective of a wise and loving father to a beloved son. And that's, you see what it starts here, he says, my son. And that's what I want you to grab here, is this is kind of a, uh, the description of Solomon speaking to his son, giving him wisdom as a loving father. We need to understand God, our heavenly father, wants us to sit at his feet and gain wisdom from him, amen? God never told us to do it all ourselves, figure it out all ourselves, make all the mistakes. No, he wants us to sit at his feet and learn wisdom from him. We don't have to learn the hard way in everything in life. We can follow God's wisdom and learn the easy way. As God's children, this text should be precious to us to see our heavenly father wanting to give us wisdom for the purpose of sparing us all these pitfalls and snares that destroy people's lives. 
You know, the things that destroy people's lives hasn't changed since the dawn of humanity. People are still destroying relationships, getting entangled in sin, in addiction, in bondage, in immorality. And these are the things that destroy lives. But Proverbs and God's word will keep us from those snares. And as a loving father, he wants us to hear from his lips the wisdom that will spare us the sufferings of life. God's wisdom protects us from our simplicity. Now, you're looking at me today, and I know that all of us think we're uniquely special and intelligent and smart and accomplished, but all of us are simple in our own ways. You could be brilliant about one subject and totally lost on another. Anyone? You know, uh, so all of us are simple in some ways. And what do I mean by simple? I mean naive. We, we don't understand certain things and we make mistakes and we learn the hard way. And sometimes we make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. But, you know, like this again? Oh, you think I would have learned. And, you know, we're all simple in some ways. And the, the thing is, we have to realize that God's wisdom wants to spare us from our simplicity so that we reach maturity. When I said maturity, the, the air was sucked out of the room. No, I want to remain youthful and be childlike and have fun and have energy. And God wants us to have all the blessings but to grow up, amen, to grow in maturity. And that's the point. Yeah, we're simple, all of us in some ways, and we make mistakes, and we learn the hard way, but we have to grow up. Proverbs 1.22 says, How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? We've all seen people like that. They, they go from the frying pan into the fire, from worse to worse to worse, and they just never understand that their actions, that their attitudes, that their neglect, that their laziness is, is making a pattern in their life that's destroying their potential. I hope I've got your attention today. You say, Pastor, what's the remedy for all that? The word of God, the wisdom of God, the book of Proverbs, to make us grow up, to become mature, to leave our simplicity behind. Proverbs 6 is going to cover a lot of topics today. I'm going to, I'm going to list them off to you. We're going to cover one of them today, but by God's grace, we should be in here for a long study. The first topic we're going to cover is bad financial or business alliances. Then we're going to move into the snares of laziness. Um, you know, if you've got kids living in your basement, they're 40 years old, we're going to motivate them. <laughs> then we're going to talk about the snare or the influence of wicked individuals. Who are you hanging out with? Who are your friends? Then we're going to cover six things that the Lord hates. Proverbs 6 covers six things that the Lord hates. Religion don't get this. Oh, God is just a loving God, and all dogs go to heaven, and kumbaya. God hates sin. He loves sinners, thank God, but he hates sin. And understand, we're going to cover six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Then we're going to cover the life-shattering, soul-destroying snares of harlotry, adultery, and sexual immorality. Doesn't that sound fun? So today, those are the topics covered in chapter 6. Let's jump right into the first one. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 5. And we're going to cover this topic of dangerous promises. My son, if you have become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. 
So do this, my son. Remember, Solomon speaking as a loving father to his son. Do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and be like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Let's stop there in verse 5 and take a look at God's wisdom for us when we find ourselves in situations where we've made dangerous promises. Uh, there again, our simplicity gets us into situations where uh, somehow, some way, we've signed on the dotted line and now we're in over our heads. Anyone? Come on, first service was in shock and awe for the first half of this, but hang in there. Uh, verse 1 through 5 describes the peril that comes when we make dangerous binding promises with others in rash and reckless ways. Solomon starts off by calling us to focus uh, on his advice, the counsel from God, and he says, my son. Now, I want you to understand something about that. Yes, we understand it's the perspective of a father speaking to his son, but I want you to realize something about that as God's word says this. Obviously, this includes women, my sons and daughters. It's a generic term there. So uh, what does that mean when he says, my son? We need to understand God pours his wisdom out on individuals by way of relationship. Say relationship. How's your relationship with Jesus? Don't all answer, but we need to be cultivating our relationship with Jesus. Why? Because that's how God pours wisdom out to us, amen? Where do we find the wisdom of God? When we spend time in the word of God, when we spend time in the place of prayer, when we spend time at the feet of Jesus, when we bring our questions to the Lord and we listen for him to respond to us. You say, well, I don't have any wisdom. Well, develop your relationship, amen. The, the amount of relationship you have with God will determine the volume of wisdom he can pour into your life. If you're not getting the wisdom of God, you need more of the word of God. You need more time at the feet of Jesus. It's by way of relationship. So there's no easy way to become wise. You can't just read the rules or read the principles. It has to come by way of relationship. And if you see someone who has wisdom and anointing in the things of God, they didn't just get it because, you know, God dropped it on them like, a, you know, a, a ton of... No, they've spent time developing the anointing and hearing from God and disciplining their flesh to walk in the wisdom of God. So there again, it shows our maturity. It comes by way of relationship. Solomon says, my son, if we want the wisdom to flow, it's according to our relationship with the Lord. Now, verse one describes two scenarios to where we can make these dangerous promises. And the first one says this, it says, my son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger. I want you to focus in on the, on the first part. It says, if you have become what? Surety. For if you have become surety for a friend, what does that word surety mean? We're probably not sure because we don't use that in our common vernacular, amen? I don't know. When, the last time I said that word was when I preached out of this text, whenever that was. But surety is something that we have to understand because the Bible is saying that, you know, when we become surety, then, you know, we're in this particular situation. Surety means a, a guarantee 
or a personal guarantee or a collateral. When we sign for or go into partnership with or become collateral for something with someone else, we become surety. And we're going we're gonna to look at how that works out in the natural world. But understand, it's, it's a pledge, it's a contract, it's a verbal agreement that we get into. It's binding, and it puts up some type of collateral, whether a financial thing or a monetary thing, or sometimes it even puts ourselves on the hook. Uh, for uh, physically for another person. <laughs> Hopefully you've never had to, you know, get bonds and bail and all that stuff. But, you know, when you put up a bond or you've signed for bail, you put your house on the line, you put your finances on the line, and if that person doesn't do the right thing, they're, they're coming for your car, they're coming for your house deed. Hello. And this is what the Bible's talking about, surety, getting into a, a, a situation like this where you're on the hook for something and you're in it with a friend. And so what does this look like in the real world? Well, we alluded to it, but it's becoming a co-signer, a business partner, an investor, a renter, somewhere where you make an agreement to be responsible uh, with another person for a certain thing. You know, in our country, we, we don't understand how this works out because, you know, we make contracts, we break contracts, we, we file bankruptcy, we just don't keep our word. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But in other countries, you know, I remember being in Guatemala, being in some places where when there was a car accident there, nobody had insurance. They don't have insurance. And you know what they did? They arrest both people in the accident. They take them away and they take them to jail and they see who can pay for what. Thank God for Allstate. You're in good hands, right? <laughs> Thank God for the Geico lizard who saves us from such... But you say, well, what's that? That's surety, amen? That's like, you're responsible. Let's go down to the police station and sort this out. Bring your wallet. It's going to hurt. And you know what? If you can't pay in those places, they put you in jail until somehow they get the money. Good to be in America. So it's being a co-signer, a business partner, an investor, getting into a financial agreement, putting yourself on the line, putting your finances on the chopping block. It says when you become surety for your friend. Let me just say this before I move on to the second scenario. The amount of relationships with friends and family members that have been ruined over sketchy financial arrangements and bad business dealings that go bad is beyond measure. This is, a, this is a topic that you can find in almost any family, in any friendship. I mean, you're going to ha have people who are involved in these things. And even sitting here today, you're in a situation where it's sketchy and there's stuff on the line. And, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to work out. I want to say something. That destroys relationships. The reason that God is warning us to use wisdom in situations like this is because he knows that relationships become destroyed when these things go bad. And I, I want you to understand something. God cares about relationships. So here's some wisdom. Wisdom dictates that we take a hard pass on the vast majority of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that people pitch to us. Hello? Oh, it's once in a lifetime. Just give me the $10,000. you are going to invest on the ground level. It's going to increase. It's going to do that. Come on, just give me the five grand. we are going to invest it in Bitcoin. We're going to have no coins when we're all done. Oh, you know, I'm good for it. It's a good pitch. You're going to invest. You know, we're going to sell. We're going to buy this. We're going to rent this. We're going to rent it out. We're going to make money. Come on. Come on. Are you hearing me this morning? 
This is real world biblical stuff that happens all the time and it destroys relationships. And that's why God is saying, my people need to use wisdom when they entangle themselves in these situations and they need not to make dangerous promises recklessly in such a way that they put their whole selves in peril. You know, these once-in-a-lifetime things, these, you know, this great opportunity, a hard pass is wisdom 99% of the time. In the event that it's, it's legitimate, you know, we should at very least proceed with the utmost amount of caution. We should consider the person who is pitching the, the, this opportunity to us, no matter how closely related they are. My wife, you know, their shoes on sale. No, I'm just kidding. He's always right about the shoes. I don't mess with her. So. But we should look at the person who's pitching these things to us, and we should be really honest and consider if, you know, if the person is trustworthy. Are they successful? Do they manage money well? Are they always broke? You know, a person who's always broke is not going to lead you into financial prosperity. You know? Their car's got more duct tape on it than... Your air conditioner and once in a lifetime, ground level opportunity, just need five grand. Guaranteed you're going to make, <laughs> you know them too, huh? 50 grand. Lord, give us wisdom. These things destroy relationships. I want to say something. Getting suckered into something that puts your name and your wallet and your relationships or your financial future on the chopping block with someone who isn't 110% trustworthy and godly and has a good track record is just not wisdom. The second scenario here listed is even worse than the first. Look what it says here in Chapter one, my son, if you become surety for a friend. So that's putting yourself on the hook, getting in business with uh, financially with a friend. Listen to this. If you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, say what? A stranger, someone you don't know? Do you realize the second scenario? It, it is even more reckless than the first. It's pledging to take the same risk, to take the same amount of exposure, uh, to, to get the same returns with someone who you don't know, who you're not related to, but that you don't even know they're a stranger. Oh, but they were slick salesmen. They were smooth talkers. They were charismatic. They were just a blessing from God. Getting into a risky uh, business dealing, becoming surety for someone you don't even know is dumb, spelled D-U-M. That's how dumb it is. There's no wisdom in that at all. And for those of you who are looking at me because you thought D-U-M is how you spell dumb, I'm praying for you. Some people are like, oh. No, it's just beyond foolish, it's beyond reckless to, to get entangled with someone you don't even know because they had a good sales pitch because they, you know, they were recommended or they got your number from somewhere and they knocked on your door and they were smooth and they were slick and, and they were charismatic and they made you feel like you were already so successful. Real world stuff. I know people who get snared in it all the time. It's a scenario that you would think doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen a lot. 
and it happens to God's people. And you know what? You know, many of us make mistakes along the way, and that's fine. We're not, you know, when you talk about wisdom, you think the other side of the coin is being foolish, being stupid. But all of us, because we said we're all a little simple in certain things, amen? You know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you, amen? We're supposed to grow. It's not that we never make a mistake or never make a a foolish commitment. J.P. Shaw in the book, Your Father Loves You, said, the opposite of wisdom is folly or foolishness, meaning the short-term self-indulgence which marks out the person who doesn't think about long-term priorities and goals but lives on a day-to-day basis asking, what is the most fun thing I can do right now? Doesn't that sound like our culture? Doesn't that sound like our generation? Come on, don't clam up on me now. We're like, if it feels good, do it. If it looks good, try it. You know, if it's fun, if it's going to be, what's the most fun thing I could pay now or, or play now or I could, you know, I could charge it, I could put it on the card. And listen, we're all about that instant gratification. And many times that mindset, that cultural mindset of I got to have it now gets us into trouble, amen? Jim Feiberg said, you are not a fool just because you've done something foolish, but only if the foolishness or the folly that you've done escapes you. Did you hear that? And we see it all the time, maybe in our own lives. We, you know, we see a person who makes the bad mistake over and over and over again. We see the person who makes the bad financial decision over and over again. Oh, but this time it's God. This time I heard. This time I know. This time it's going to work out, and it doesn't. We're only foolish when we can't admit, when we can't come to the place where we say, you know what, that was was wrong. That was the wrong thing to do. I'm not going to do that again. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. God wants us to have the wisdom not to become foolish uh, over and over again making bad choices. Verse 2 shifts out of these two scenarios and tells us uh, exactly how we get in them. Wouldn't wouldn't it be good for us to understand how we get in trouble in the first place? Come on. Here's verse 2. It shows us exactly how we get there. And unfortunately, it's over something that gets us in trouble across the board. You are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Snared and taken by what? Your mouth. Anybody married? Anybody ever say something that you wish you would never say? Elephants and wives never forget. Right? Have you ever said something that, you know, and it's coming out of your mouth, and while you're saying it, you're like, what am I doing? Like, I remember my brain kicking in, and my mouth is flapping, and I'm like, ah. But once it's out there, you can't. You, you can try and walk it back. You can, you, you can, I misspoke, and no, you're not buying it. So our mouths get us in trouble more often than not. You know, I see people with religious things on that try to make them look spiritual, you know, crosses and amulets and, you know, some people have ashes on their head or something. You know, I think the most spiritual thing we can walk around with is a big piece of duct tape on our mouth. I'm not talking today. (laughs) Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. 
and, and our mouths get us in trouble. They get us into these situations. They, they, they get us stuck. And Proverbs 17, 28, you hear as we're going through Proverbs, I'm quoting Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 28 says this, even a fool when he holds his peace is counted wise. And he that shuts his lips, oh, thank you for duct tape, Jesus, is esteemed as a man of understanding. What does that mean? You know what? When you don't, even if you're not the sharpest tool in the shed, if you know how to control your mouth and close it and not get yourself into situations because you couldn't control your mouth, people are going to look at you and say, that's a wise person. Sometimes the smartest, most intellectual, the person with all the degrees and all the knowledge that can't control their tongue, they are a disaster. And we don't even want to be around them because they sucker us into their messes with their mouths. Now, before I move on from this, uh, you know, we're getting it that our mouths need to be under control, that we need to be careful, that we don't make reckless agreements uh, and and dangerous promises and get ourselves entangled with our mouth. I want to show you two things that exponentially increase the likelihood of a person making a reckless binding promise. The first one is pride. Why do people get into business arrangements or financial arrangements or relationships or, or, you know, or investments because their pride puffs them up? Oh, I got the money. I can do this. I can take the risk. I'm smart. I, I'll be successful. I can prosper. And it's pride. And sometimes we know, I don't have the money to do that. I can't afford that. Uh, this is not you know, something that the Lord is pro- But we, our pride puffs us up, and we sign on the dotted line. You know what the second thing that makes it exponentially more likely that a person will make a reckless binding decision? Alcohol. People in the business world, what do they do? They take clients out, they wine them, and they dine them, and they pour wine down them, and they pour cocktails down them, and then they make business agreements. This happens all the time. Yet in Christian circles, some Christians drink too much. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not drink. It says that we should never be drunk. And you know what? I've seen people who drink too much, their pride flames up, and they make all kinds of verbal commitments that they should never make. You and I should never drink too much. If we can't drink without being under control, we should abstain. And alcohol and pride will get our mouths a flapping until we put ourselves in perilous positions. Come on, smile at me. I'm your friend. I'm telling you the truth because I love you, amen? Some people won't look at me. But it's our mouths. It's always our mouths that get us in trouble. Now, thank God in verses 3 through 5, he shows us how to get out of a situation. You know, it's one thing to know how situations are destructive. It's one thing to admit, yeah, it's my big mouth and my pride and my lack of self-control that get me there. But thank God he shows us how to get out. And verses 3 to 5 are how we extract ourselves from a a, a dangerous, reckless promise that puts our finances on the line. Verses 3 through 5. Listen, so do, do this, my son. There again, out of relationship. Deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Listen to verse 4. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle. See the personal responsibility? Don't just say, oh, God, deliver me. God says, no, you'll jump right back in. This time, dig your way out. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of a fowler. 
So within those verses are three ways that God wants us to get out of the situation. Now notice, God doesn't just say it's okay to break your vow. Hear this. Oh, it was stupid. I should have never done it. They, they forced me. They tricked me. I'm just not going to keep my word. No, God never tells us it's okay to break our word, to break our vow, or to break our promise. Why? Because when we do that, we become covenant breakers. And Romans 1.28-31 shows us how, what God thinks of those who just don't keep their word. It says this in Romans 1, starting in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Here's a list of them. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, and here it is, covenant breakers, untrustworthy, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful. So in this list of all these dirty, rotten sins, God throws covenant breaking in there. Why? Because when someone makes a promise or a vow and they just break it, it shows that they're not trustworthy. It shows a huge lack of integrity, and God sees it as sin. So if you've made a commitment and you don't like it now, you can't just break your word and figure that God's all right with it. No, God gives us three ways to get out. Instead of breaking our word over a reckless vow, God's word tells us to do three things when our mouths have gotten us into a bad situation. Number one, we need to find some humility. Look around. Anybody see any humility anywhere? Easy to be humble? Not easy. But look what it says here. Go and humble yourself and plead with your friend. Humility is the key for us getting out of what our mouths have entangled us in. Now, how your friend responds to your humble plea speaks volumes. When you go and say, you know, I made a mistake. I should have never do this. Uh, you know, uh, you, you know me. You know my situation. You're my friend. We're friends, you know, and you're being humble, and I'm sorry. I hope this doesn't, you know, affect you, and blah, blah, blah. You understand how humility works, and you're pleading with your friend. Now, how they respond says a lot about whether or not they are a real friend. If we ask a friend to release us from something that's unsettling, uncomfortable, or unsafe for us, and they're unwilling to do it, and they, they're willing to, you know, just hold us to it, they're proving that they're not a friend worth having. A real friend would never keep us in a bad position for their own benefit. That's not a real friend. That's a manipulator. That's a user. That's not a friend. So, so many of us have diluted the, the, the essence of what a friend is. You know, we walk around and we're, you know, we're social media people and we're like, well, I have 2,000 friends on Facebook. Yeah, and when you meet them in public, they don't even recognize you. You know, you have to, I, I, oh, I know you on Facebook. We comment, yeah, I've never seen you before. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, th that's our level of friendship. Those are not real friends. And if you go to someone and you might think, well, yeah, you know, I can trust this person. You know, they post good memes and they're funny and they're, you know, we have the same political persuasions and we have the same bumper stickers on our vehicles. And you think, I, I, can, I can get, you know, into an, and, and then we realize they're not a friend at all. Wow. If you plead and you 
humble yourself before a person and they're unwilling to give you any slack, that should give you some wisdom about the level of friendship you have, first of all. Still, God doesn't say, well, just break your word. It's okay. No, we have to plead and we have to go and we have to humble ourselves. Now, you might say, Pastor, this is going to be awkward, man. If I have to go humble myself and it's going to be embarrassing, it might totally jeopardize the friendship. Yeah, it's going to do all of those things. That, that's the point. That's just part of the humbling process. See, some people won't humble themselves because they're going to look bad or it's going to be awkward or they, the, the, the person's going to get mad at them and they're not going to be friends anymore. You see the foolishness of all this. It's folly to remain in a, in, a, in a destructive agreement with destructive consequences because you won't humble yourself because it's going to be awkward. See, God allows us sometimes to go through awkward things, to go through embarrassing things. Why? So we don't do the same sins over and over and over again. Amen. If we get out of the messes we make too quickly with no pain and, and no scars sometimes, we're like, you know, well, I'll, I'll do that again. That wasn't too bad. You ever been through something that, man, you had to claw your way, tooth and nail, embarrassing, people looking at you funny, people not talking to you anymore? Man, that's something that you don't soon repeat. Come on, you look like you're going to die out there. Smile. This is just God's wisdom for us. Amen. So humble ourselves and plea. That's the first step. Then the counsel from the Lord continues. It says, you know what? You humble yourself and you plead. And then it says, give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. The second way we extract ourselves from a reckless commitment is this. We deal with the situation immediately. 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 Not just, you know, well, when I get to it or when I see them again or when it comes up. Listen, procrastination over things like this is just going to make it worse. God's word is getting the, the idea across to us that don't even go to sleep. Don't close your eyes. Don't just wait uh, another day, another week, another month. No, immediately get into the situation and immediately try to extract yourself from it. This means we should never ignore these dilemmas that our mouths get us into. Come on, what does the Bible say to married people? To, or, you know, don't go to sleep angry, right? Some married couples have been up for months. Just being biblical. So we're angry, we're in a mess, we're in a jam. There again, same principle. Don't, don't go to sleep on it. Don't just ignore it. And see, that, that's what we want to do. Our, our flesh would rather just say, oh, you know, they're not going to hold me to that, or they'll forget about that, or, you know, it, it was at the dinner table. It was over a few glasses of wine, or, you know, I can just, you know, they'll just forget. Let's just kick the can down the road, pretend it's okay. Instead, we, the Word of God tells us to immediately seek resolution. If you're in financial situations, if you're in relationship situations where you know that it's not beneficial and God is not in it, don't procrastinate and stay in it. The longer you stay in it, the worse it's going to be on everyone when the final separation is made. Amen? So immediately address the situation don't procrastinate. I want to say this before I move on to the next instruction. Bad situations almost always get worse, not better over time. Things that are falling apart get worse if you don't address them. 
oh, all the wood on my house is rotten, but, you know, I'm just going to wait 10 years and see if it heals itself. I got got a couple boards on my deck that need to be replaced, or, you know, I'm going to be underneath the deck one of these times when I'm grilling. The price of wood is so affordable, it's almost as cheap as gas. Bad situations get worse over time. So don't procrastinate. Address the situation immediately. Number three, the third instruction God gives us, his wisdom on how to get out of these situations that we get ourselves into is this. We need to wildly persist until we get free. Now, there's something about going immediately. That, that's the first step. But then we need to be persistent because, you know, some people are going to push back and try and talk us into what the Holy Spirit's told us we need to get out of. And that's just the way it goes, whether it's dissolving a business relationship or a, a, a love relationship or whatever. There's usually pushback. Sometimes there's procrastination. Sometimes things linger on and they always get worse. So we've got to be wildly persistent until we get free. Listen to how the text describes it in verse 5. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Even if you don't know a lot about nature, everybody should know gazelles are fast. I mean, they, God made them, uh, uh, you know, they're nimble. They can run extremely fast. They can accelerate quickly. They can, you know, move left and right. I mean, the, the agility they have is just amazing. You say, why are they like that? Because they're prey animals. And prey animals get attacked by predators. Prey animals don't have teeth and claws, but they sometimes have speed and agility and the ability to get away. God's word is saying like, a gazelle, or like a bird. I've noticed some things about birds, too. They're fast. And I've seen songbirds and small birds being chased by hawks, and it's just amazing how fast and how nimble and how agile they'll be. I've seen them escape. You know, the hawk is flying away hungry. He's like... So God is saying when you're in these situations, think of yourself like a prey animal being attacked by a predator. You have to move immediately. If you don't take immediate, aggressive action, you're dead. Now, thank God, a lot of the things we get into with our mouths don't necessarily kill us, but some of them over time kill us slowly, and they kill our potential, and they rob our peace, and they kill our joy. So it's serious here. And God's saying, you know, deliver yourself. Notice that's personal responsibility. Yes, we cry out for God to deliver us. And God says, flee. God says, get intense about it. God says, be persistent with this person until you are such an annoyance that they let you go. Some of you are good at this. Don't act innocent now. You know, do you ever like with somebody who has to get their way? All the married people are nervous now. They have to get, the, and they'll haunt you and henpeck you and bring it up, and it's every topic until, until, until. Well, God's saying to be like that in situations like this. Some of you have now have permission to use your skill set. This tells us exactly how to respond like a prey animal, to flee, to get aggressive about it, deliver yourself 
from the hand of the fowler, from the hunter like a gazelle. Uh, do it in an accelerated, persistent way because it's a serious situation that the longer it goes on, the harder it is to extract yourself from and the more damage it will do to all parties when it's not addressed. God cares about the things we get ourselves entangled with by our mouths when they're not under control. You say, well, why does he care so much? Because he cares about the integrity of our words, that Christians keep their promises, and they don't make foolish promises and just break them like the rest of the world does. You know why else God cares about this? Because he cares about relationships. And like I said, nothing shatters relationships more than getting ourselves in these situations where now to get out of them is going to damage everything around us. Wisdom dictates that we don't jump in recklessly to binding commitments that put ourselves on the line for others, for strangers, or for things God never told us to do. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, for Proverbs, for the wisdom of God that you have given us. Father, I thank you for Proverbs 6, 1 through 5, protecting us and warning us to guard our lips and to tread lightly when it comes to entangling ourselves in the affairs of others in financial ways, making commitments that become destructive to us and to our relationships and to our walk with God. Father, give us wisdom, Father, to keep ourselves from these situations, but if we find ourselves in them, let us follow the wisdom of God to get out as quickly as we can, to humble ourselves, to plead, and to remove ourselves by whatever means necessary other than breaking our vow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.